Hello and welcome to The Gridiron Show, speaking to you 100 days out from the start of the new NFL season. I mean, that sounds like it's close, and yet it's over three months away still. And yeah, and every day I find myself having more and more conversations as we get close to the season about how, you know, we're going to be covering it with work and what off-season stuff we're going to be doing and hopefully travelling out to the Germany game. And I keep getting really excited and remembering that it's absolutely miles away. But that's why we are here, to keep you entertained, to keep you ticking over and keep the NFL content coming strong in your way. I'm Will Gavin, joined by Gridiron editor Ollie Connolly, who has been... Yeah, just absolutely working his backside off to get you some brilliant stuff uh, coming up to preview the new season from a magazine perspective. Ollie, just give us a little tease of what's going to be coming over over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on fire at the moment. Well, I've been doing all these promotional rounds of podcasts to promote the the Gridiron Annual, which will be coming out in just about a month for people. So we're in the final stretch of finishing off the annual there, which is basically a giant preseason guide. Every team, team by team breakdown and some cool features as well. So I'm going on these shows where, you know, it's kind of that lollygagging time of the year, like you said, right? That we're three months out. It's the dead part of the off season. I am fueled up with takes. I've been deep in all of these teams <laughs> in every play, grinding film like an absolute crazy person. I, I'm overflowing with takes. And I had the same thing today where I, an editor emailed me quite frankly about it's 100 days out as if it snuck up on him. Like, oh no, it's 100 days. And I had to reply because everyone's looking for content. That's the content of the day, 100 days. It sounds really good. It's like, if you just put that that's like a third of a year, it, that sounds forever <laughs> away, right? So take, let's all calm down. We still a long, long uh, way to go, but I, I've got all the takes. I can go team by team right now, just to shotgun intakes right at you. Right. So what we're going to do is I'm going to just turn my mic off, uh, maybe my camera as well, and uh, just leave you to it. Is that right, mate? Just yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, the thing is, right, 100 days is almost how long the season is. Like the se- the season's probably only about 120 days or something like that once you get into February as well. So it's it's really like it's quite a long time, but we have got some great stuff to get into. We might touch on the Pro Bowl in a bit and how they can change it, but we can always save that for nearer the Pro Bowl. I, I have to say I went this year for the first time. Uh, that I've ever actually gone. And we went to, it was in Vegas. It was near where the Super Bowl was. It felt like a missed opportunity not to. And the game itself is dross. I think I watched maybe three snaps. But the week and the build-up and the interactions with the fans and the players are clearly having fun and their families get to go out. Like, I wouldn't want to see the Pro Bowl die entirely, but... uh... The game is a nonsense, so maybe we'll get into that. But what we want to talk about is some breakout candidates for the 2022 season. Quite often, people tend to look at like the second-year breakout candidates for this, the guys who are going to be getting their opportunity, maybe didn't impress in their rookie season, maybe it was an injury, maybe it was opportunity. Uh, but I, th- I think we can cast our net a little wider than this. We're going to bring a few each on this, but we'd love to hear your takes as well. At Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron on Instagram. Let us know some of the breakout candidates for your teams for 2022. Ollie, I'll hand the ball over to you first. Is there a name that's absolutely, you've been combing through these teams, team by team. Is there a name who's screaming out to you? Just think people are sleeping on that guy. This is, this year is going to be sensational for them. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily sleeping on. I think TJ Hawkinson in Detroit is in a really interesting spot. We often see these tight ends take a little bit of time. And he was in, he was pretty fantastic in the final year with Matt Stafford. He's probably the closest thing, height, weight, speed, kind of impact in two, three phases of an offense to Travis Kelsey, I would say. 
And I think the offense, the Fania Stava was limiting for him, but he was excellent in it. Then they moved to this new setup where I think it fits him a bit better, but he's playing with Jared Goff, so it, it's not quite as good. But then you start looking around the, the Lions offense and you go down play by player one. The line is just stacked, which is unusual. They have maybe, maybe not the best pair of starting tackles, but it's so good as to not make much difference between, you know, if you whoever you think is one and two to if they're at three, four, five, six, it's it's excellent. And that's all that really matters. Then you've got Jamison Williams, who's obviously going to be the, the Tyree Kill type player. They bring in DJ Chark. Aaron St. Brown was outrageously good last year they still have DeAndre Swift if you cannot find space and that's what this offense is about pressing everything down the field so you can clean up underneath that's where TJ Hawkinson should be his absolute best short stuff and then yards after the catch or just bullying people at the intermediate level I I could see not quite Kittleish because he's such a special player but people looking around and going okay Gronkowski's on the decline. Maybe Kelsey is, you know, starting to go on on his way out this year and next season. The next guy up will be Hawkinson. I think there is an argument that because Jared Goff plays the most important position in sports, that that could limit you. But they have set him up to succeed in a way that almost nobody else is. You mentioned it, like how a team that picks that high in the draft has a line as good as theirs does. It's normally the place you immediately look to. They draft a wide receiver. They bring in DJ Chark. Amon St. Brown looked absolutely sensational down the stretch last year. I love this offense. And actually, Hawkinson if he doesn't have to do too much of the blocking, if he can just be the guy that gets outside and lines up all across the formation, I think it's a sensational shout. And again, for me, it kind of, I mentioned it before, it comes down to this idea of uh, opportunity. I, I had a little look through like some of the suggestions for fancy breakout candidates for this year, because obviously on those skill positions, there's quite a an obvious line between those. And you have guys we think about like, Rashad Bateman in Baltimore coming through in his second year, uh, guys coming through who maybe like there was an obvious person in front of them who were taking those opportunities away, who has now disappeared. Um, Rondale Moore, when you've got the departure of Christian Kirk, plus the suspension for DeAndre Hopkins, I thought he showed flashes of brilliance last year. Now you're going to be a guy who has to take a lot of the opportunities. I think if you start off really hot for a guy like one of those two, when you've had the clear obstacle in your way from being the main man is not in your way right now, then those are a couple of guys I think could break out immediately. Yeah. The the big thing I think from Hawkinson is that the OC was the tight end coach. And so not necessarily that magically makes that position better, but it does mean when they're game planning, he's probably going to always start the film with his eye on the tight end position that Ben Johnson has been a tight end coach all over the league as as a young guy just that idea of doing the Graham thing, as you mentioned, moving all around the formation. And they didn't run a lot of isolation stuff last year. And usually when you bring up isolation, you think of something that's plodding and maybe doesn't fit so well. But if you think back to those Saints Graham's teams, I mean, that was just bombs away and it's lit people up 40 points a game for fun because they had better players. So you can isolate when you have better players. And when you have Jameson Williams, who no one can keep up with and Hawkinson can box everyone out. And then all the other pieces we've mentioned there running an isolation style, I think works quite well for them. So I, it's a really tough one. They should be good. I, you go through that team. They should be good. I think Aaron Glenn is a, 
unbelievable DC at making week-to-week adjustments. The way he changed that defense at the midpoint of last year where he was like, all of this stinks. What I want to run doesn't work. Let me run what works instead of what I want to run. It was a major shift, and they became really good towards the end of the season. Then, as you mentioned, that offense should be good, and you're just hoping, well, Jared Goff cannot be that bad. It's not possible because we saw him when he had a ton of pieces be not, you know, someone who just drove the car into the ditch, as it looked like at times last season, that Steelers game being the famous one where he just looked like he didn't know how to play football. They should be good. I don't know. I, it's a strange one for me. I think like they should be good. I'll, I'll tell you another team in, in the NFC North who I don't think will be good, but have a very breakout candidate opportunity also at the tight end position is with the Bears and Cole Komet because... A lot of people like Darnell Mooney a lot. And I don't know if I've seen enough of him in an offense that works to really have an opinion on that. It's clearly some physical ability there. But beyond that, they've got a bunch of number threes in Equimini St. Browns and Byron Pringle and Dante Pettis. Justin Fields, second year. I'm being kind, all right, Ollie, I'm being kind. Um, A bunch of guys who have no higher ceiling than being a three. How about that? Let's if, if we're being kind to them. And he saw his targets go up from 46 in his rookie season to 89 last year. He's a guy who could easily be targeted over 100 times this year, become an absolute safety blanket for Justin Fields, depending on what that offense looks like. We're still so unsure of it. But in Chicago, they're convinced that Fields is the guy. He's going to need somebody to throw to. And so there's a guy there who I think also, if we're talking, this isn't a show about NFC North tight ends, but if it was, that would be my shout. Yeah, yeah. Um, Minnesota too. Uh, it's a tough one. You say they're in on Justin Fields. I mean, how many times do you have to bang on about the fact that unlike every other team with a young quarterback who is spending crazy amounts of money or throwing every draft pick in the world at trying to find a wide receiver to help out the young quarterback, they're the one who's changed the staff that drafted him, right? The front office moved, the, the coaches moved on. Um, and those offseason moves do not look to me like they have complete not of faith that Justin Fields can be the real deal. Um, if, if he is able to somehow squeeze something out of it i mean that offense is probably the worst in the league in terms of just you just have nothing you're excited about except for the quarterback which is just never a good way to go and you see that with trevor lawrence last year right there is only so much you can do when it's that bad around you um so yeah Quebec, i mean yeah as you said safety blanket because he's running around for his life and the, the big tall guy in the middle of the field is usually the one yeah. you try and look to when you're panicked I agree with that. If you're still, if you're playing fantasy football, that I would be all over that because as you mentioned, it's probably going to be hundred targets because when you start getting into a, a gimmicky situation where you're like, all our players are basically bad. We have to manufacture offense, which is what Matt Nagy was famous for. Even when he had good players, that's when you start throwing the tight end screens, right? That's when you bring out all the fun stuff, which you know, at the NFL level probably is nonsense, but you, you have to call it because you got nothing else in your bag. So I could see that. Um, can we talk about second-year quarterbacks, maybe even third-year quarterbacks as well? Simon's not here, but we probably should mention Tua at some point. But let's talk the second-year guys first and foremost. I guess start with Trevor Lawrence. What did you see from him in year one? A guy who I think we all saw was sensational in college. I watched the game when he came and played in London. Some of the throws that he made that I just saw the arm talent. I saw that it was, you know, that he was off kilter, that he was being forced out of the pocket and still making these fantastic plays. And I was like, there are probably only five or six guys in the league who can make those throws, but nothing around him is set up for it to work. And then I also like the fact that how he dealt with the whole Urban Meyer situation showed a maturity way beyond his years, I thought. 
So he's set up to be a breakout candidate, but did you see enough from him in year one that actually it's going to work at the NFL level? Oh yeah, he was extraordinary, which I know sounds daft because I, I have not even been through the numbers because I imagine they're brutal. I think with him, there's, almost, there's no need to because of how unfair it was around him. I think I've detailed on here before, some of the concepts they were trying to run are concepts that the, the timing of them can physically not work at the NFL level. And yet that's what Urban Meyer and his staff installed. There are little things he does that just blow you away in terms of resetting his feet where you think there shouldn't be time in the NFL, but the great ones find a way to do it. Rodgers is great at this, right? Where he's so light on his feet and it's, you think he's about to throw the ball, then he'll reset and roll his hip. And it, that snappiness, that extra beat. And particularly when you're playing in an offense with guys where there's just no juice in the perimeter, uh, go back through some of the, there's a four week stretch where their intermediate middle of the field threat is Tavon Austin, who is what, five, six, probably in lies and says he's five, eight. And that's the guy you're trying to drop the ball over linebackers to, to Tavon Austin in the middle of the field. So it was just brutal last year. And he was amazing. I mean, I wrote a giant piece on him, maybe week nine, week 10, which I think holds up and people should, should maybe go and have a read of because it will really dig into some of the nuances of what he does, reading of leverage, the really, really, um, in-depth stuff he is, he is as good as advertised there is absolutely nothing about him that i would not be concerned about and the only thing for me that gives me any pause is i don't love him necessarily in the doug peterson offense because in doug peterson's offense i like someone who wants to get rid of the ball really really quickly in the rep which is just that point guard spraying it around and with lawrence i'm like no let him do more he can do a lot more you don't need mac jones you want mac jones in that get the ball out quick offense with Trevor Lawrence, I want him in a Bruce Aarons driving the ball down the field offense, tons of deep options, the Sean McVay stuff, and let him read it out and go to work because he's smart enough and good enough and shown that already from the pocket in the NFL to do it. His movement skills within the pocket are as good as it gets. And that was the question mark coming out, right? Because he played in a kind of goofy offense at Clemson where they didn't let him do a whole lot of, of pro-style stuff. It was everything you could ever ask for at the NFL level. So to me, it's he is the one I had on one of my lists, and I know it was the second-year guy, so you, as you said at the top. We are trying to cast a bit of a further net, but I expect with him in a competent offense to go from any lingering question marks to it being pretty clear that this guy, he might not be Joe Burrow, because I'm not sure anyone is. The guy might be the best in the NFL, right? But that we will comfortably say he's in that top eight discussion for the next six, seven, eight years. Yeah, I agreed. And I'm glad that we are on the same page on that, because I saw... I just saw a guy in just the worst situation who was still managing to elevate himself above it. And yet, because he doesn't have the numbers, because he doesn't have the wins, because he doesn't like people just dismiss it out of hand. And actually, I, I think I want to say similar. I'm not as positive about Zach Wilson in New York, but the difference between when he came back from the injury and pre-injury, you know, 11 interceptions last year, but you have to look at the fact that eight of those, nine of those came in his first five, five starts. And then down the stretch, when he comes back off the injury, he doesn't turn the ball over in the last five games. Whilst taking a lot of sacks, whilst taking a lot of hits, whilst generally looking like he was on a team which didn't have a huge amount of a clue as to what they were doing, he managed to keep his eyes downfield. He managed to protect the ball a lot better later in the season. It's a small thing, but it could be a huge thing for this year now that they have beefed up the offensive line a lot. Now that right now they look healthy going into the year, who knows how that could look when we get to day one, but he's a guy who I think people are pretty down on outside of New York after year one. And actually the steady improvement across the year made me think that there's that possibility for a jump. Well, I, I, I'm just not in on the Zach Wilson thing. I, I, I don't want to jump on anyone. It was just, 
that that like, half of the year where he gets a bit better after the injury, it, the offense was so constipated. It was a hide our quarterback. Let's just get to next year setup. Um, you go through the average number of air yards, which I understand sounds boring on a podcast, but it's just how often, it, <laughs> how far is the ball traveling? In is is it boring in any other? Is it less boring in any <laughs> other format? Is it just? just oh podcast yeah, you should see me when I'm doing my stand-up set on average air yards. <laughs> I murder. Um, if you if you look at that, how far is he consistently throwing the ball down the field? The only players who have had worse averages than him in their rookie season is Josh Rosen, Brett Hundley, Deshaun Kaiser, Jared Goff, Blake Bortles, Blaine Gabbert, and Jimmy Clawson. The NFL figures out really quickly if you are terrible or not. Okay, some we we, we argue back and forth about the guys. Ah, oh, he's average. Can he become good? You know, it's the Kirk Cousins, the Derek Carr thing. Is he great? Probably not great. Is he good? He's not awful. They know really quick if you're awful or not, particularly your own staff. And they start instructing you, please don't throw the ball downfield because every time I've asked you to, you've thrown it to Bill Belichick's defense five times. That, that's what happens in the NFL. So that tells me, and I know it's just one number and you can go through a whole bunch of different ones and maybe you can find some decent ones for Zach Wilson. This is a guy who was carried in college by the best offensive line in the country and ludicrous weapons all around him. has been dropped into the NFL. It was a massive learning curve. So they were already asking a lot of him. And that they tried to baby step him along. He fell on his face. Then when they brought him back, they made it so rudimentary that you could just kind of get through games. And yet the result is that he has a resume now worse than some of the worst players to play the position since the 2000s. All right. Pretty brutal. Uh, we all I will say, I, I, will, I, will, I will agree with you on, you know, it, it's similar to the, the, um, the golf point we were making before, right? Where they couldn't have incubated him any better. That line is excellent. There are tons of weapons. So if it's going to happen, then let's see it. I mean, if you dropped him in the, the Detroit one, would I be more excited? I don't know. I think it is still one where we reserve judgment. The, the thing that I struggle with them is I don't like their offensive design. I don't really like the offensive coordinator, not as a person, as a game caller. Um, whereas I do like what they do in Detroit. So it, that that's a tricky one for me. I think he, if you dropped him in the Doug Peterson system and he just had that slingshot release, right? And he's just ripping it to Garrett Wilson, all those guys, and it's RPO centric. I'd be all in. I'd be like, that's fun. He might be bad, but we'll have a good time trying to stick him in the wide zone, then boot, reset his feet, rescan the field. It just makes no sense for what he's shown so far. I do want to mention too quickly because I did earlier and I feel like I'll get in trouble if I don't. They have obviously put everything there between the coaching, between going out and throwing picks on getting a player like Tyreek Hill, who really changes what defences have to do to try and make this work. And if it doesn't work, except that, you know, the next guy up is going to have options there. Drafting Jalen Waddle, bringing in Tyreek Hill, so many options on that offence now with a genius mind in theory behind it all. Surely he can't fail in 2022. Surely, surely he can't. The question there is, does the genius mind map up with the quarterback? You know, I've talked about this before. In the annual, the preview that comes out, I've done a, a probably too many words piece for it about the specific question of can the McDaniel and Tua dynamic work schematically together? One likes one type of system, one likes the other. They don't really fuse together very well. So it's not like you can just mash the best of the concepts like when... Uh, Bruce Arians and Tom Brady got together. They looked at each other and like, should we just run a best ofs album? It was the greatest best ofs album, you know, since probably Brady was running the thing in 2007, you know, that they, they could put those concepts together seamlessly. That's not the case. McDaniel's going to have to decide really quickly. Am I running the system for Tua 
or am I running my system? Cause it's my first time as a head coach. And I believe in this system. Cause I've seen it, you know, run through the NFL with a whole bunch of the people. And then he probably starts looking over at Teddy Bridgewater and starts thinking, you know, maybe Teddy could run this thing a little bit better than, than Tua. It, to me, it, it, we will know within the first two weeks, if it clicks, he's going to have a great year. And if in two weeks it's, we're still unsure, then Teddy Bridgewater will be starting my week six. I think it will be that clinical. Even more brutal. Are there, is there anyone else on the offensive side of the ball that you really wanted to highlight? Anyone that was on your list that, that jumped out? Um, the one that really intrigued me, which is, is a bit more of a deep dive, but I think is really good for fantasy people, is uh, James Washington with the Cowboys. He was a unbelievable deep threat three years ago for the Steelers, but then Ben Roethlisberger's arm fell off and they kept asking him to, if you go through his, his um, average yards per route, it's about 30 yards. So he's still being asked to run down the field a very, very long way down the field, even when they know their quarterback can't throw the ball down the field anymore. So his production drops off. People think he's not a very good player. He goes to the Cowboys where he's going to be probably the fourth or fifth option on an offense with both the run game and then Dak and his legs and just the second phase of it all. And you're asking him, basically, you're going to stand out there, run down the field very far. CD Lamb will play inside and draw all the safety help and all the safety attention. Can Dak hit him, I don't know, 15, 20 times a year in big spots deep down the field for scores? I think James Washington is going to have some big, big receptions and some big time touchdowns in close games because you just cannot cover it all. And when he's played in an offense with a guy who can actually throw the ball, he's been pretty good in the NFL. And in particular, as a deep threat. He's had like the Sean Jackson level output over three years as a deep uh, over 20 yards or more to, to drop that in with Dak, that upgrade from the last, latter stage of Roethlisberger to Dak Prescott. I don't think that can be underestimated. I, I still slightly struggle to connect with the idea that after what we saw in the latter half of last year and this idea that you know Keller Moore was going to be a head coaching candidate but there are so many guys on that offense who are so talented in theory CD Lamb Michael Gallup you know, guys who look like they could be putting up production that is rivaling anyone else in the NFL and yet nobody ever truly emerges as a superstar and even with you know, Dak coming back off the injury, uh, Dak coming back off the injury, plus Zeke coming back off injuries and getting a bit more into you know, rotating in Pollard, a bit more of a, a running back backroom by committee. Nobody kind of has really stood out. I think my only problem with it is he could have a really good year that you and I will go, do you know what? James Washington has been brilliant this year, but he actually catches, you know, 40 targets for 500 yards or something because there's a lot of deep balls and nobody's screaming about it. But we're going, do you know what? He's been really important to what they've done. No, I, I agree. The thing with them is they've built this, this system, which is just all about Dak, right? I, I've said this on this pod before. They run Peyton Manning's offense with Dak Prescott and he runs it as efficiently as Peyton Manning did. It's just not quite the gaudy MVP level numbers because he keeps getting hurt because they're asking him to do everything and they ask him to hold on to the ball for so much longer than anyone else in the modern NFL has to. It's quite unusual. And then they'll blend that with like six gimmick plays a game where we all go, Kellen was pretty good at this. Those six gimmick plays are really fun. So it, it's a really strange one where it is all about Dak figuring it out, getting to the, to the best place. So it's not like they're just relentlessly hitting CD Lamb and targeting him 14 times a game. And it's not, you know, nine catches and four touchdowns and these historic performances, which I believe CD Lamb has the talent to do. And particularly when you pair that, as you mentioned, 
if you've got Lamb and Amari Cooper, shouldn't one of those guys just be bullying someone? You know, mm-hmm. it's just such a mismatch where Dak goes, this is easy. I'm just going to throw the ball to Amari 10 times because they their third guy cannot possibly cover Amari. It, because it's so system structured and the system is built around Dak and his brain, they've almost, it's going to sound a bit mad, but they've almost overcomplicated what should be pretty simplistic, which is just put that guy in the shotgun, let him throw it to whoever's open. I think it, it's it's almost a pretentious offense at times. Um, when it, it could be a lot easier. And I'm not saying they missed the window, but to not cash in on that whilst they also had Amari is a little bit silly. Efficiency should, should be what they're looking for. Um, and they also did dra- uh, draft Jalen Tolbert in the third round, who you know, might not be the sexiest of names from this wide receiving class, but did have five receiving touchdowns where the ball went over 20 plus air yards. So is a guy you could be looking for at the intermediate to deep level, potentially as someone who could take those targets away as well. But you just never know with these rookie guys. Are they going to come in and hit the ground running? Is Michael Gallup going to be ready for week one while he comes back from that ACL tear? So many kind of question marks over that wide receiving core in general that maybe Washington is the guy that emerges. If there's no one else on the offense side of the ball, let's move to the other side. Let's talk a bit of defense. A name that you mentioned um, in the uh, in the group earlier, and the Indianapolis Colts need more pass rush. They need more off the edge. They can't rely on just having one game-breaking player in the middle in DeForest Buckner making all the difference. So does Quitty Pay build on that potential and turn this year into a guy that delivers you, what, 12 plus sacks, 15 plus sacks? What becomes a breakout year for him? Yeah, the, see, the sack total, I think, less important than the pressure total. You know, just disrupting things for him is more important because the way they play, there's always mop-up guys. You know, it's not it's not like the Steelers where if you don't get home as the Steelers, like one-on-one, if what's not bringing the play down, hey, what's not bringing the play down, the structure of that defense means the guy can escape and, you know, the, there's room to, to play with, basically. In the Colts' defense, it's not that essential if you're not the finisher as long as you, you know, they just don't in any way pressure the pocket consistently he had 39 total pressures last year but 18 of them came in back-to-back weeks against the jets and jack so he really juiced his totals for the most part and elite pass rush production is about 80 to 85 pressures that's when it's like really special now to get to that number's tough but they really need someone him or ngokwe and you know i'm not a huge fan of ngokwe someone's got to be in the 60s or 65 you just can't win in the postseason unless you have one player producing in the 60 or 65s and you probably need two to make up for the fact you don't have that 80 plus pressure guy, right? Who's, who's the elite player that that's what they're looking at. And he's got all the bursts and all the get off and all the moves. And the question is just do, can people allocate too many resources to him? Cause as you said, there's DeForest book and that's an easy double. And then if you just slide a tight end or you kick a back out and chip him on the way out, suddenly you, you, you stop in a pie on the edge too. So yeah, they just need more. Um, I think, in that Gus Bradley system, it was so passive last year, you know, whereas Gus Bradley will be much more aggressive. Um, so maybe he just gets more one-on-one opportunities and then that that naturally flows for him. I, I did think as the season wore along, he was figuring more stuff out than he was do, doing early in the year, but the production wasn't there. Um, so it, it could just always be on those players. There's, there's tons of those guys who do really cool nuanced things. And they, they put on tons of teaching tape, but for some reason, they never touch the quarterback. Uh, is there anyone that stands out in that same pass rushing class, whether it is the second year guys or, or kind of guys who you think could emerge? Maybe they've had a move this off season that, that do jump out and, and make you think, yeah, there's a guy who maybe we've been underrating up until this point who's finally going to get their opportunity. I think Gregory Russo for Buffalo is the one who's the second year guy because 
So he had 36 total pressures last year, so less than pay, but his all basically came outside of one week in the final six weeks of the year and in the playoffs. So he was really finding his mojo as the season went along. And then you drop Von Miller on the other side and they still have Ed Oliver. So if you're going to put Ed Oliver and Von Miller together, that's a wrap. And you may as well not block the other side of the field because otherwise those guys are getting home together. So so it's not even one-on-one, right? It's one-on-one with him having a serious advantage because of how they're going to have to set their protections to try and figure out the Miller situation and having the quarterback naturally say, let me put the launch point just a little bit over to this right-hand side because Von's over there and he's very scary. So I'm just going to shuffle this way a little bit and it's going to be right more in Russo's path. So he's the guy who I think just the, the force multiplying effect of dropping a Hall of Famer on your defense, who did break 80 pressures last year, Von Miller, that elite mark, even while while missing time and being traded. It didn't matter to him. He still broke the, 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 the 80 pressure mark. So having that on that defense with obviously all the other components around it, it's just loaded in every single position. I think he has a chance to have a monster season where maybe his reputation is almost a little bit overinflated because he's a product of that ecosystem. Uh, I had a couple of defensive backs that jumped out to me, whether it was because of injury, whether it was because of improvement over the course of the year, um, whether it was just situation that they're in. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. in uh, in LA, I thought, you know, he had the concussions early on in the season, but when he was on the field in an offense which kind of outside defense sorry outside of kind of derwin james maybe has struggled to get production even from guys with name brand value i really liked what i saw i think that i want to see obviously consistency concussions are always worrying when they're more than one in a season and you start to think whether a guy is going to have long-term problems in that area but he was a guy who jumped out to me as somebody i i was keen on for this year and the other one on the kind of other side, um, situationally, New Orleans with the Saints, Paulson Adebo, who was bad early in the year, but had a rally late in the year. And they've just improved so much with bringing in Marcus May and Tyron Matthew on the back end, you know, being alongside Marshall and Lattimore for another year, having a change of you know staffing there and everything. I, I think that there's a couple of guys who second year guys have got real opportunities to look really good this year. The Saints one worries me. That defensive backfield doesn't make any sense how it all fits together as a jigsaw. It's an awful lot of names. It is almost like a fantasy lineup when you start going, well, how? where's Marcus May going to line up on the field? Because he's basically a sub-package linebacker. He's not really a safety, right? Okay, well, where does Tyron Matthew want to play? Well, he's basically a sub-package linebacker. Okay, who's standing deep in the defensive backfield? Oh, we lost Marcus Williams, who's the best middle-of-the-field safety in the NFL. And everyone's looking at each other like, oh, shit, yeah, we lost Marcus Williams. Who's lining up where? And that means they're going to have to play someone who is not as good as those players just because they cannot play in that specific role. Even if they're trying to play a bunch of split field coverage like the entire league does, Marcus May cannot play in that role in the NFL anymore. That's just not who he is. He's basically a weak side linebacker in a tiny little body. I don't know how they make that fit. I also don't know how they make fit the fact that Dennis Allen is a guy who lines up. This is what we're running. We're going to change week to week. We're playing two man this week against Tom Brady. Everyone knows their assignments. We just rep it all week and off we go. With Tyron Matthew, whose entire you know, excellence and genius is he rolls all over the place and you can get really creative of where you start him to where you finish him, you know, basically in terms of his defensive landmark. Again, threading that needle, that's a tough one. I don't know how they're going to make all that that fit outside of just having Marcus Lattimore elevating back into being one of the five best corners in the game. And he was pretty good last year after a down year the year before. So I'm not sure about that one. 
Um, the Asante Samuel Jr. one, I'm very encouraged by and excited by. I think them bringing JC Jackson is is a game changer for him because they run they ran a ton of zone last year, which I don't think Brandon Staley really wants to do long term. And I think Asante Samuel Jr. is much better as just a straight up press man. Let me get on with who's in front of me and I'll figure the rest out later. Don't have me hitting depth and reading things and having to do pattern reading and all the really difficult stuff that is defensive backfield stuff. I think they prefer saying everyone jam the line of scrimmage, Doom will figure the rest out. Don't worry about it. Doom and Nasir Adderley, unbelievable safety combination. They can pick everything else up. You guys just body up who's in front of you and chase them all over the field. And bringing JC Jackson is what will allow them to do that because you can't do it without a great one. I'm not sure Sunday Samuel Jr. will necessarily be a great one, but as a two, that, that that's pretty tasty next to JC Jackson. I always kind of question what counts as a, a breakout star because for mm. us, for people I think who pay real in-depth attention to the NFL, like the kind of people that be listening to this podcast, you know, they will have seen somebody who had good production but went under the radar or will have you know flashed later in the season and offer those opportunities. You almost need to see the big production numbers change for people to be happy with it. But then you've got guys like someone like JC Horn who came out and people were very excited about and then gets injured misses three games is that yeah. even a breakout candidate at that point or essentially are we are we redoing a rookie season here yeah it's the same with like creed humphrey creed humphrey might be the best center in the entire nfl as a rookie is he does he get on a wheaties box or however we define does he have a tiktok account i don't know how we define stardom anymore well i'm too old <laughs> you know what, what constitutes being a breakout star for the national conversation is he like um a good example is quinton nelson right is just considered the best guard, whether anyone watches him play or not. He is so good now that it is just understood in the national discourse that he's the best, right? Oh, it was there was a point where the, the Cowboys line, which we'd been <laughs> which had been much vaunted for three seasons, had a bad run. And everyone's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they've got the best line in football. It's like, no, they don't. Have you watched them actually play? Yeah. Uh, and then everyone kind of caught up a little bit later. Even now, people will, will cite it. It's, it's like none of those guys are playing anymore. There's, there's only one left standing. Half of them have retired. Like, honestly, yeah. they've retired or moved. That's the situation there. Um, yeah, so like JC Horn, I get excited for the idea of what he could do. Uh, I, I kind of had a little scan through uh, some of the kind of lists that people were propagating early on. And, and a name that popped up quite a bit. For example, another one. This is, this is a good one to me. is If you play an unsexy position... How good do you have to be to get a breakout year? Because you could argue that Nick Bolton with Kansas City logged 112 tackles in his first year, made a huge number of plays, genuine kind of pro bowl, even all pro level ability, great yeah. sideline to sidelines. There was so much to like about him. And yet, because he plays that position. Well, I had him on my list. He was terrible at the start of the year. And the reason I don't think people recognize how good he was in the second half of the season is because the Chiefs defense was so bad, so they all get lumped in, right? They're all terrible. And then the real difference-making point was that Chris Jones moved from outside to inside, they signed Melvin Ingram. So the national conversation was those two things and not what happened at the second level. And his production actually goes down because he's playing better. I know that sounds strange, but the, he had so many tackles because that they were getting mauled off the ball. Someone has to stop someone. So the average, you know, contact he's having as a linebacker is at eight yards typically and he's doing that all the time because their run defense is so bad now as the run defense got better nick bolton played better but he's not touching the ball anymore right because the running back is bouncing and trying to kick out the back gate and everyone's jumping all over him so he was amazing that whole linebacking level towards the postseason were unbelievable but they were just tarnished with those first eight weeks where they were so bad that it was like okay that is bad now forever 
And that'll be the way they're considered now until they go and win a Super Bowl, basically, based on the defense. And people just think that the Chiefs' defense is bad. They were dominant for the second half of the year. They were one of the three best defense in the NFL for the, the second half of the season. So Nick Bolton and, you know, JOK got all the plaudits, right, for being kind of this hybrid play who can play some safety, can play in coverage. Nick Bolton's the exact same way. Six foot, springy as you like. He, and he really comes down to the club of the run, whereas JOK plays more on the perimeter when, he, when he's defending the run. So that that is a that is a great shout. And he's someone who will need a major moment in a national game, which he will have the opportunity to do because they're going to play in so many national games. But him making a game-breaking play in the divisional round is when he goes from being considered bad because he's lumped into the linebacking core of the Chiefs to being, oh, Nick Bolton. I've seen him make plays on third down <laughs> in the in you know in the AFC title game. He must now be good. Yeah, it's going to be a division that's on TV a lot. So come on, Nick step up uh look we've only got a few minutes left any final ones that i've missed that were on your list no i had the rebirth guys i think miles jack in pittsburgh he was so so bad last year but playing behind that defensive front should make life easier for him and then i i watched so much of the cardinals i watched every single cardinals game last week to do a, a giant piece on kyla murray that's out now that people can read um I was stunned how good AJ Green was down the stretch. I yeah. thought the perception of him, and this could be colored for me by who I, you know, my little ecosystem and my little bubble that you go into on social media and whatnot. I thought the perception was that he had a pretty decent start to the year. And then with everyone else, he collapsed and he was old and brittle. And I'm watching it and I'm like, he's getting better and better. And he looks younger and younger as the season goes along. So obviously D-Hop is a, is a pretty incalculable loss for them. But he was really, really good and super duper athletic. It was not old man box out Anquan Bolden, which was the perception I had in my head through the fog of the season when I'm just kind of watching the games here and there. When I studied the entire offense, I was floored by how athletic and how young AJ Green looked. Love that. Absolutely love that. You mentioned the Kyler Murray piece. That is out there now on the Substack. Well worth going and checking out. Uh, it will be the... What are we calling it now? An annual? Uh, an annual? Yeah, there we go. Just getting it right. It always makes me think of like the Back to the Future annual from like 1987 <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, the annual will be out soon. It will hit your uh, hit your doormats. It'll hit your your shelves and your WH Smiths and everywhere else. So do make sure to go and check it out. Pre-order it if you've not already done so from the Gridiron website. You can find us at Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron on Instagram, all those good places. Uh, any final thoughts, Ollie? Anything else that you want to throw out that people should be checking out? No, I want them to go and pre-order the annual, which they can do now. I want them to subscribe to everything. I do want people to start sending in some mailbag questions. We are getting yeah, we need to, to get the that. dead part of the off-season. Yeah. You can send oliver.conley at platformmedia.uk. You can tweet Will Gavin. You can tweet wherever you tweet anything, email. Just put the phrase mailbag anywhere in our orbit or general sphere, and I will collate the questions, and then at some point we'll do a couple of mailbag episodes. Beautiful. Let's get it done. Thank you so much for listening, watching, uh, liking, reviewing, subscribing, doing all that good stuff. This has been The Gridiron Show.